welcome to the latest installment of the Lament Configuration Horror Podcast. I am your host, resident body count girl, Rhea Fend, and I'm joined by, as always, the ever-controversial, banned from public radio, the infamous Greg Knox. Greg, how are you today? I'm very, very well. It is summer, and similar to when we did this show last year, it's absolutely baking. I am literally sweating my balls off, but unlike last year, I actually have something to uh, wash away sort of the, the heat this year. I actually have a mojito, but unfortunately, it's a virgin mojito because uh, I don't think it'd be a good idea to drink and do the show at the same time. Oh my God, that's so weird. I drank the exact same drink today and it was from Sainsbury's and it's fucking delicious. Um, <laughs> as, <laughs> as Greg said, this is not the weather for goths in London at all. It's an actual heat wave across the UK. So please everybody check on your goth friends and make sure they're all right. Um, in the meantime, we're here to darken shit up. Um, and we actually have the mid-year horror review show for the Ment Configuration podcast of 2018. So that's all of the horror from January to June and we're going to summarize that and give you the highlights and some of the lowlights as well. So we're going to keep this as spoiler free as possible as we have done previously. Some of you may not have seen these films but we will entice you and give you some tidbits as to what you should watch and maybe what you shouldn't watch as well. How does that sound Greg? Sounds really fucking awesome. (laughs) That's great yeah okay. So um, kicking the show off with uh, we've we've each got quite a few picks we've got five picks each um usually stuff that that we really like um but you know greg could have picked some stuff that i really like and vice versa so there's going to be a bit of crossover um so my first pick of my five is the film a quiet place um which was released in april of this year and it's by director john krasinski who is actually one of the lead actors in this film. And the film is classified as a drama, horror, sci-fi, which I did really like about this film. Um, John Krasinski previously has directed the American Office TV series and acted in that. And this is his first horror film, and I think this is a very strong start, so I look forward to what he makes in the future. Um, It's an excellent suspense film. There's a lot of silence in this, a lack of dialogue, um, and essentially it's um, a family hiding from monsters that only pick up sound and don't react to anything else, so they have to live their life in silence, um, which does create this very suspenseful pace in the film. Um, Add to that the fact that you've got um, Millie Simmons, who is a young deaf actress in this film, who is this is quite an important breakthrough in casting in that they actually did cast somebody who is really authentically deaf. Um, She is fantastic in this film and and gives a very strong performance. So, yeah, I mean, I I have also heard that they're writing a sequel to this film. I don't know if it's a direct sequel or just like similar situation with a different premise, but I do believe that they're in the writing process of adding something to this in the franchise. Yeah. So, I mean, it's made, fuck loads of money in america it's actually one of the top 10 highest grossing films of the year so far so yeah it's done unbelievably well so yeah it doesn't really surprise me that they're they're doing a sequel to this um it's by platinum dunes so this is legitimately the first good horror film that platinum dunes have actually ever made so well done to them you finally got it right after all these years um 
Yeah, I totally agree with everything you said. Yeah, the sound design in this is like absolutely incredible. It's not like kind of the stereotypical sound design that you get in a lot of horror films, especially big budget ones, where it's just quiet, 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 boom, quiet, 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 boom. No, it's the silence actually works really, really well in the film itself because of the premise. Mm. And because of that, it does have a lot of tension in it. And um, yeah, I thought the uh, the long silences worked really well. Yeah, I feel like this is kind of what they were trying to do with Hush, but they didn't quite make it as suspenseful as this. And Emily Blunt is absolutely fantastic in this film as well. Um, the, the sci-fi elements to it really did make it quite um, scary and beyond your typical kind of jump scare film. So yeah, I did really appreciate that. There's also quite a lot of kind of emotional family moments that um, you genuinely connect with that are very heartwarming. And overall, just thought this was fantastic. Definitely recommend. Yeah, I mean, in a weird way, I don't know if you agree with this or not, this actually reminded me of Signs. Yeah, I agree, actually. Yeah. Because it's got a sort of strong family sort of at the centre and there's monsters outside and it's, you know, there's a lot of it that's set on like a farm. I think, or there's cornfields sort of anyway. Yeah. And it's, you know, it does have jump scares, but I thought the jump scares were kind of quite tastely done. I yeah. thought. Yeah, it's quite subtle. It's not really like overt, like some of the films that we're going to discuss on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. And in terms of your cinematic experience, I mean, I was quite lucky. So when I saw this, it was literally in a screening room with me and one other person. So I didn't have anyone sort of fucking up the experience for me by eating popcorn or rustling or anything like that. Yeah, I did hear a friend of ours, Stuart Green, had this ruined by um, rustling of snacks and popcorn during the quiet scenes, which really ruined his experience. And I myself, I wasn't as lucky as you. I did go and watch this on the opening night, so I kind of anticipated it might be busy. Um, I tried to get as far away from people as possible when I booked my seat and then two people of the whole row which was empty two guys sat like directly next to me and they didn't smell pleasant so <laughs> <laughs> oh dear so it's like a kind of 4d experience that you didn't play for and like smell a vision yeah basically like Cineworld oh, does 4dx but this was unexpected <laughs> so yes use deodorant everybody yeah it was it was rather disgusting <laughs> Yeah, I don't really blame you. Um, yeah, it is a really good film. It's very, very tense. I thought, I don't know about you, that like the last sort of half of the film was kind of similar to like the, the raptor scene from Jurassic Park, but extended over like a longer period of time because you had this creature that's sort of trying to find a character. Obviously, in this case, it's not you know, like the raptors can see and they can smell and stuff like that. These creatures, they can only hear, they can't actually see. From what I can remember anyway, it's been a while since I've seen this film. Yeah. Um, no, but yeah, I, I thought it was kind of quite similar to that. And I thought it worked really well. Yeah, I agree. That's like, it does make it so tense. Um, and yeah, I did, do think it was similar to that raptor scene. And very similar to Science. I couldn't place it until you said it then, but now I can see that that is what, what uh -huh. it was that was springing to mind. There you go. That's why I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. The only thing I would say about it, I'd say it is good, but I mean, th there were a couple of things about the film that I thought, I don't know if I really want to go into it too much, but there is something, 
it's not really something that happens. It's more of a, yeah, all right, well, there is something that happens in the film and it's to do with the passing of time because at the start of the film, it's day 89 and then after that, it's day 489 or something like that. And there was something that happened that I thought, well, this doesn't really make sense. Why would you do that? That does seem like a bit of a silly thing to do when there are all these monsters that are going to kill anyone who makes a sound. Yeah, yeah. But I don't want to spoil it. You have to watch the film to see for yourself what I'm talking about. Yeah, they kind of just want to, um, you know, amp it up as much as possible. So I can see why you think some things might be a little far-fetched, but it did add to the plot, so I can see why they included those elements. But yeah, overall, very good film. Thought it was very strong. Strong performance from Emily Blunt. Excellent. So um, my second mention after that is Unsane, which was released March of this year by director Steven Soderbergh, who has recently directed Logan Lucky, um, Ocean's Eleven and Twelve, Erin Brockovich, and unfortunately Magic Mike, which I have never um, put myself through watching. <laughs> Magic Mike's meant to be all right. Is it? <laughs> I haven't seen it, but um, it's apparently meant to be okay. It's probably not the sort of thing I would choose to watch either, but it's not like he's directed, I don't know, The Room. <laughs> I think I'd rather watch The Room than Magic Mike, but hey, Actually, that's just me. that's a bad choice. <laughs> we love Tommy. <laughs> um, yeah, so the synopsis for Unsane is a young woman is an un involuntarily committed to a mental institution where she's confronted by her greatest fear but is it real or is it a delusion now this is a highly unusual film because most of it was shot on an iphone 7 um which if you watch this you you'll kind of pick up on that because it's got quite an ugly clunky aesthetic which can look quite dark and unnerving and jarring um for the visual with the uh narrative um, it creates this kind of delusional feel with the plot. Um, but overall, I did think this was a very strong film. Um, I enjoyed it. It had some nice twists. It played on modern day fears, fears of um, being stalked, of social media, of uh, modern technology. And um, Joshua Leonard, who plays um, David, uh, the so the weird creepy stalker guy David Shrike um he's quite sinister in that role so I quite enjoyed that element of it um and like I said it's got a lot of nice twists it's quite ambiguous so it leaves it quite open um what are your opinions on Steven Soderbergh as a director and the iPhone 7 aesthetic and this film on the whole then Greg yeah so I like Steven Soderbergh he's not one of my favourite directors at all by any stretch of imagination, but he is a director with a strong kind of track record. So he's directed, obviously, I think he's most well known for directing like Ocean's Eleven, which is really enjoyable, I would say. Um, his first film that he did, Sex, Lies and Videotape, I really like that. And yeah, he's just one of these directors who I think is quite interesting. He's sort of one of the kind of key American independent directors from the 90s. Um, he also did Traffic, which I really like as well. Um, in terms of this film, I agree with you on terms of how the film looks. One of the questions I would have is, I have seen another film that was filmed on an iPhone. That was a film called Tangerine, mm -hmm. which I saw at the London Film Festival a couple of years ago. And 
that aesthetic really worked for that film because it's a down and dirty film. It's shot on the streets. Um, it's about people who are kind of on the fringes of society. So it gave you this feeling of kind of immediacy, uh, kind of this documentary like feel where you're actually, it's like a, you're a fly on the wall. It's got that kind of feel to it. So that really worked for that film. For this, I'm not entirely sure why other than just for a gimmick. Soderbergh has chosen to film this on an iPhone because in interviews he said that like well you can't really tell that it's filmed on an iPhone on iPhone you could sort of just play this on a cinema and it look really good hmm, which whereas kind of true well yeah. well to it an extent did, it is true to an extent but I I'm not gonna lie I did find it really distracting for the first kind of 20 minutes of the film and it did take me out of the film because the colors are really ugly like so there's a lot of sort of browns mm. and kind of very dark colors mm -hmm. and the focus so there wasn't a lot of deep focus it was all very shallow mm. so it was hard well i say hard i mean you could see but normally when you watch a film that's filmed obviously on film or on digital you can normally see what's going on in the background really clearly but for this it was just yeah just very murky and then yeah it just it sounds like a really shallow thing to say but it did genuinely kind of take me out of the film yeah. And I it's mean, it's, not, it's not exactly mm. refined cinematography. <laughs> no, but like I said, the film, I don't think needed that gimmick because I don't think it really served a purpose. Oh, but, I think it will have substantially mm. helped their budget. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just pay like, what, a hundred quid or so for an, an old iPhone and yeah, you got it. <laughs> um, I did quite like the film though. Um, I thought that... Uh, the main character was sort of quite interesting, I guess, mm. because of her circumstances where obviously, you know, she's kind of stressed anyway. So in the early scenes of the film, you see her go on a Tinder date, yeah. which I think is the first time I've actually seen Tinder use in a film. So it's like, mm, okay, this might date it in like about 10 years time where you can tell that she's, you know, clearly got some things wrong with her. Mm. But yeah, in... From my I point got, of view, yeah. I found this incredibly easy to relate to because I've actually been in some, not as extreme, but a similar situation before. And it is very unnerving to have somebody contact you that much. And some of the messages that you send in are in the frequency and everything. It is quite scary. You know, it can be so real. So it's another case of that kind of horror that plays on real fear, real fears, real modern day fears and like current topics and then just takes it to the extreme so that in your mind when you're watching it it kind of gets all blown out of proportion and you reach that level of kind of panic just imagining if it happened to you yeah i mean i've never been stalked but i can imagine it's sort of no fun and uh, claire foy she does sort of carry it off really well in terms of sort of playing the main character and the various things that she has to go through during the film um i've got to be honest like it's sort of more of a thriller than a horror film as such. Yeah, I agree, like, yeah. Near the end, there are some violent moments, but for the most part, it's more like a psychological thriller. And it's got some satirical elements where I know the film is supposed to be a stalker film, but what it's actually about is something completely non-horror. It's very Soderberghian, shall I say. So, uh, yeah. And, um, yeah, there was a couple of interesting moments that I won't spoil. There's a cameo 
Mm-hmm. That I definitely won't spoil, but I thought, oh, it's that person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, just uh, to kind of end this one off, I did quite like the use of blue, the color, not the band. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it was interesting. Um, I, I myself like psychological thrillers, so I think that's the element that I liked of it. And I know that's not strictly horror, but it does fill you with dread. So we'll, we'll give that one to Soderbergh. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, once the, there's a big twist in the film, well, I say a big twist, it's not really that big of a twist, but when it happens, then I felt the film was stronger because it was building up a sort of, well, it, is she mad or is she actually sort of sane? And then once it answers that particular question, then it's like, I don't know, to me, the film became stronger, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. It's quite difficult to tell at first, which does keep you guessing throughout. So, yeah, I mean... I think I preferred A Quiet Place, but this is still a strong pick for me. Um, Your first pick, Greg? Yes. So um, because Rhea picked so many good films, I thought it'd be quite interesting to sort of discuss a couple of less good films, shall we say. But (laughs) the first one I'm going to choose is one that clearly we had to talk about. So because our podcast is The Lament Configuration and we're both huge fans of Hellraiser and we've discussed the series on a previous episode well actually it's two episodes but yeah quite early on it was about this time last year we did it and it was a really really fun double bill of episodes so i urge you to check those out if you haven't done so already um i am of course talking about hellraiser judgment um so the first thing i will say is yes it is better than hellraiser revelation not that that's i agree it's not difficult (laughs) yeah there's no green pinhead in this one no, Pinhead does not have a green face in this film. Really, would be very pleased to know that. Fantastic. <laughs> yes. So, in terms of the story, I would say it's sort of very similar to Seven. Actually, it's basically a complete ripoff of Seven, not going to lie. And it's also kind of got elements of Saw in it, as well as Hellraiser. So, it's about two detectives who are brothers and a third detective who is their new female partner who's come on onto this case. So there is a serial killer killing people based on the Ten Commandments mm-hmm. called the Preceptor. And in the meantime, there are sort of Cenobites and weird new Cenobites, yeah. if they indeed even are really Cenobites, that are passing judgment on people for their past actions and then uh, rendering a verdict, shall we say. Yeah. Um Now, I liked certain aspects of this film. So there are, well, there was one new character in particular that I really liked, who is the auditor, Mm. who is played by the director of the film, who is Gary J. Tunnicliffe. Now, Gary J. Tunnicliffe has been a makeup artist on the Hellraiser series since Hellraiser 3. So he's actually been involved in as many films in the series as Doug Bradley. Which is quite interesting. Mm. He's also done makeup on another couple of films that I really like. One of which is Candyman, which I think is just so iconic. So well done on that. And another one, a recent one called Gone Girl, which is which is awesome as well. So yeah, yeah. So obviously he is most well known as a makeup artist, as you say. So because he was involved on Hellraiser Revelation, even though they had a budget that was ridiculously low in the thousands of dollars, the makeup and the gore effects were okay for like the budget they had so it's quite interesting obviously that he's been involved so long he's obviously such a big fan of the franchise because he's been involved in it for so long and yeah it's quite interesting that he gave himself the best character in the film he's the only character that i thought was quite interesting and 
Pinhead, yes, he doesn't have a green face, as you said, but he's okay. He's all right. He's not obviously as good as Doug Bradley, but he's a lot similar to Doug Bradley than the last idiot that they had <laughs> playing that character. Yeah, I, I like the auditor as well. Um, I do respect the fact that Gary J. Tunnycliffe is such a big fanboy of Hellraiser that he's gone and done this and he did a better job. There are another few interesting scenes and characters. There's one that was like a kind of butcher character, like fetishy, um, which was just like, um, I think they had like a black latex hood on and like, um, I was going to say like a scythe, but it's more like a, uh, and like two hand axes, didn't they? Yeah, it's hard to explain. It's those ones that are like um, cleavers, but without just with the small handle that you grip like a martial arts blade, I think. It's hard to explain. So, yeah, those. And um, there was a really weird, interesting scene where um, there were some sexy girls at like a, um, <laughs> like a trough. And something was being recycled out of like the body of something else, and they were kind of feeding on it. It was quite gross, but interesting. Um, so some interesting ideas and new Cenobites. Um, and I agree with you; he's no Doug Bradley, but Pinhead is not all that bad. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that scene that you're talking about, which is the scene right in the beginning, it does look like a Nine Inch Nails video. It <laughs> may as well be like the video for Closer. It's yeah. just that similar to it. In fact, the opening credits, I mentioned that this film is basically a massive ripoff of Seven in a lot of ways. Mm. The opening credits of this film are basically the same as the opening credits of Seven. Literally, it's pretty much the same thing. Yeah, and you've got this real CSI detective vibe that you get with Saw going on. Yeah. And yeah, it really does feel have that feel to it a lot of the time, but kind of not as good um, and I'm sure they threw in some kind of Cenobite lesbian action in there at some point <laughs> yeah I kind of thought you'd feel that way about that to be honest it's not my <laughs> favourite it's not my favourite um, device to use in a film to get the ratings up to be honest it's really not a favourite of mine no and I've got to be honest like I mean outside of the bits with you know the new Cenobites and the bits with Pinhead the detective story just really, really did not engage me. It was, yeah, just kind of very, very sort of generic sort of cops kind of trying to track down a serial killer. Interestingly, they don't interview any suspects. They don't interview any witnesses. Mm. It's just, oh, there's been a death. Oh, there's been another death and things <laughs> like that. So, yeah, it is really, really obvious once you get to a certain point in the film who the killer is. Mm. And I was not wrong when it was uh, revealed. So, yeah, clearly, yeah, the whole mystery element didn't really work. Yeah. But, yeah, I thought the ending, without giving away what actually happens, I thought the ending was sort of different for Hellraiser. Yeah, a bit different, but I totally agree with you that the um, the plot with the detectives around the Cenobites was just way too bland for me. It really didn't hold my attention. So... I think if that had been stronger, it could have made this an entirely different film. But some parts are engaging, but I ju it just couldn't hold my attention all the way through. Yeah, I mean, in fairness, there hasn't been a watchable Hellraiser film since Inferno, which a lot mm. of people don't like. But at least that had an interesting central detective story. And then they sort of just, oh, fuck, there's supposed to be Cenobites in this. So Pinhead appears for like two minutes at the end. <laughs> um, and then... 
yeah, you've had all the sequels afterwards. I would say, and I don't know if this is being generous or not, but I would say this is probably the best sequel since Hellseeker. Because this is obviously, as I said, it's definitely better than Revelation. It's better than Hellworld, because Hellworld's hilarious. <laughs> and I would say it's better than Deader, because Deader is fucking boring as all shit. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I think kudos to Gary J. Tony Cliff, because he obviously knows the franchise very well, and he's had a real good go at doing this properly. Um, and it's a very hard thing to do. So, you know, kudos to him. I think he's he's done a, quite a reasonable job of this. Yeah, so if they do another one, I hope he does it. Um, I think they probably will do another one because Dimension do want to keep the rights, even though there's the whole Weinstein issue, which is kind of like obviously a bit of a problem, <laughs> putting it mildly there. Yeah. Um, so you don't know what's going on with the company. But yeah, I think they'll probably do another one in like two or three years' time. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what they do. Exactly. Yeah. And your second pick, Greg? Yes. So my second pick is uh, a bad film because I enjoy talking about bad films because it's fun to kind of completely destroy them, I would say. And there have been a few bad films this year, that some of which I'm going to highlight sort of at the end of the show. But the one I kind of wanted to talk about in a little bit of detail is a film that for some reason has been quite financially successful. It's made more money at the American box office than Hereditary, if you can believe that. It's True for Dare, which is... Which Can't is directed. I believe it's made more money than Hereditary. Well, there's a lot of stupid people out there. And this is directed by the amazing talents of Jeff Wadlow, who gave us previously that great sort of superhero sequel, Kick Ass 2. Not. <laughs> um, I saw it at the cinema. It's really boring. <laughs> it's on Blumhouse, but it's more mainstream than most Blumhouse films. And to me, it felt like. Um, Nerve meets The Purge meets Liar Liar. Wow. Okay. <laughs> That's a very, very weird mix of films that you've kind of thrown at me there. Um, yeah. So it is Blumhouse. So Blumhouse, obviously, have got a lot of positive press at the moment because they brought out Get Out last year, mm-hmm. which is my film of the year. And realistically, though, what they are known for is making these really cheap films and kind of managing to market them in such a way to get people to go and see them so that they make their budgets back X number of times over. And yeah, this is a very successful formula, as is proved by this film, because like I said, this film absolutely sucks. So why does it suck? It's got absolutely no likable characters in it. So this is one of those films where you've got a group of people who are meant to have been friends for years. So in this case, it's a group of friends. They're on holiday in Mexico. And this guy randomly bumps into sort of the main character, who's called Olivia, and they take Olivia and all her friends to this random church in Mexico, and they get to play this game of True or Dare, as you do, because who plays True or Dare still in 2018? Apparently people still do. <laughs> and... What it is, is it's sort of in the vein of It Follows. It turns out that this guy has actually played a trick on them to get them to play True for Dare, and he's now passed this curse onto them where they have to play True for Dare, and if they refuse to play, they die, essentially. Oh, and, oh that, old, yeah. that old thing, that old game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not the uh, game of True for Dare that I remember when I was growing up. Um, <laughs> Maybe next so, time they'll make one about Spin the Bottle, eh? <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm surprised that's not happened, actually. Or Knock Down Ginger. There should be a horror film about that, surely, oh. if that doesn't exist. Maybe I'll jump on that and start writing it this week. Good old spin the <laughs> bottle horror. <laughs> awesome. And then you can sell it to Netflix, because uh, they'll buy any old shit. So. Obviously, and be making my millions before we know it. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, in terms of this, why I think it's horrible is, first of all, I mean, horror is purely subjective, but I find it very, very hard to believe that anyone in a million years would find this scary. It's essentially what happens is when you are possessed, in inverted commas, you make a face that's very, very similar to the Aphex Twin face. Yeah. (laughs) If you're familiar with that. I think there's another horror film called Smiley, which has got a bit of a similar trope as well. Yeah, I have not seen Smiley, but it's meant to be really, really bad. So I look forward to watching it for, uh, well, worst film of the decade kind of festivities, which I'm sure will happen at some point. But yeah, all that happens is you make this derpy face and then either you tell the truth about someone or you do this dare and most of the time, inevitably, you will end up dying in a really, really stupid way. Um, Yeah, none of the characters are really very, very likeable and... Yeah, just I I don't know why I'm supposed to care about these characters. Isn't that the point though that you don't care about them so you like it when they get killed off? Because that's like no. your classic teen slasher. No, right? I hate that. I hate that so much. I hate that with every fiber of my being. If I don't <laughs> care about any of the characters, why should I feel? Why Why am I going to feel anything for them when they die? Why am I even watching the film? You know, it just it seems like a pointless exercise. Even in something like. I don't know, Friday the 13th. Let's use that as an example. Even in a film like that, you have at least one character that you're meant to like and you're meant to sympathise with. So yeah, when all the annoying people who you don't like die, you still at least have a protagonist who's strong. Mm. But the main character in this is just such a selfish bitch. Like, she does all these horrible things to her friends, you know, I don't know it's just the whole way through the film I was just exasperated by like these things that she was doing <laughs> and uh, I don't know yeah it just annoyed me a lot let's put it that as you can tell I'm getting quite annoyed talking about this yeah um, I know you've seen this what did you think yeah I mean I saw this at the cinema again on opening night um I think it's I didn't hate it as much as you did. I thought it was lacking for a Blumhouse film. I thought it was too mainstream, that um, their choice was too mainstream. But they seem to have done the right thing because they obviously raked in a lot of money from the sales for this. Um, I thought it was a fun, trashy um, teen slasher. Um, It didn't offend me as much as it did to you. I think if you like the film Nerve, you will probably like this. I think it's not as good as Purge. Um, It's a social media modern day slasher. um, And it was kind of what I expected. I didn't hate it. I thought it was good for kicks. Like if you get a few drinks in and some popcorn on a Saturday night. Um, But it's not revelationary. It's not going to, it's not going to change my life, you know. I would never watch it a second time. But yeah, it didn't offend me. Um, and it's not the worst film that I've seen this year. <laughs> it is really, really stupid. It's not even, to me, it's not even enjoyably stupid because there's all this backstory about kind of the curse and why it's happening and all this stuff. You know, they go back to Mexico again for some reason, like two thirds of the way through the film. You'd thought, 
you'd think that they wouldn't want to sort of go back to Mexico after everything that's happened, but no, they choose to go back hmm. and just, you know, I'm just bored. I'm just like, look, I just want this film to be over. I don't give a fuck about any of this. Like, why are you going back to Mexico? <laughs> uh, and like, I mean, the only other thing I'll say about it is it's one of those films where you've got a group of friends. They're meant to have been friends for years. Stuff happens that they all basically turn on each other because they're all shallow characters with like no depth, no soul, no personality whatsoever. And like, it's one of these films where people die and no one seems to be that bothered about it, which to me is a sign of a bad film. So if the characters in the film don't care when their friends die, why should I fucking care? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You're very passionate about disliking this film, Greg. <laughs> Mic drop. Mic drop. Okay, on with the next pick, which is actually mine. So I am very excited to discuss Revenge, which to me is like the ultimate rape revenge female-directed film of 2018. It's an action horror thriller. It's directed by female director Coralie Farge, um, and it stars Matilda Lutz, who is also an awesome lead actress so two very strong women um bringing this film to the forefront in 2018 i think it was quite controversial a lot of people didn't like the premise of this film or didn't think it was uh brought that much value but a lot of people did think this made made a lot of waves in the horror scene um and the synopsis is never take your mistress on an annual guy's getaway especially one devoted to hunting a violent lesson for three wealthy married men um i thought this was amazing because it's very genre changing and a modern twist on rape revenge films. Um, I won't reveal what the actual twist is because you do need to watch this. But it harks back to I Spit on Your Grave, which is one we've covered previously with our video nasty shows. I refer you to our previous episodes. Um, and it's got a lot of um, detail, amazing cin cinematography and quite sort of psychedelic shots in this. Um, for me, I don't think you would know that a woman did direct this. I don't think it's possible to tell that, but obviously people will prejudge this knowing that beforehand. Um, and I just thought it was amazing. It uses suspense so well, and you never know which way this is going to turn. Um, Greg, what did you think of Revenge? Yeah, so I think you liked the film more than I did. I'm not saying I didn't like it, but... There are a couple of things about it that sort of irked me. I don't know if they're necessarily spoilers, but I'll, I'll try and sort of steer slightly carefully around the subject. So, I mean, it's incredibly stylish. I do like kind of the style of the film because normally with rape revenge films, particularly if we're thinking about ones from the 70s and 80s, they're normally like down and dirty, kind of like very gritty sort of pictures. Whereas this one is, yeah, very, very, very sleek it almost kind of looks like a music video. Everyone seems to look really orange, which was a little bit off-putting for me. I'm not going to lie. It's like everyone was wearing like, you know, buckets of fake tan, um, <laughs> which I think is the point. I think it's supposed to look like that, but I did find that a bit off-putting, at least to start off with. Um, the I don't know if the tw twist you're talking about is what I think it is, but there's a an incident that happens about, 25 minutes into the film which is kind of the bit after the rape mm -hmm. which we don't see by the way so obviously because it's 2018 and you know i know this is a rape revenge film but it's not going to be like i spit on your grave you're not going to actually physically see the rape you kind of hear it yeah it's, and you it's kind implied of, yeah. but i feel like it's still distressing enough when it's implied 
Well, yeah, you can hear it, and it's more the one of the the male characters. They're not doing anything. It's kind of their kind of passive indifference to kind of what's going on. It's like this girl is being raped by your mate, and it's like, oh, okay, fair enough. And he's just watching like Formula One, I think that he's watching at the time. So I thought that worked quite well because I get you can't really show that anymore. And fair enough, I thought in that regard it worked pretty well. Um, I hmm. Only thing I'd say about it is that for a film that's directed by a woman, there are a lot of shots of kind of under cleavage. <laughs> I don't know what you're supposed to say. That's kind of a nice way of saying it. You can see like Matilda Lutz is arse a lot uh-huh. kind of in the first sort of 15 minutes of the film, which don't get me wrong. I'm a straight guy. I thought it was very nice, but at the same time, I'm like, okay, hmm. Not sure I kind of can get on board with that. I get the point is that you're supposed to see her as this kind of object and that you're meant to be surprised when the turn happens and then she has to get the revenge. Mm. But I thought that was a bit of a strange choice, but maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm missing something there. Uh, I didn't mind that so much. It really didn't offend me. Like As a woman, it did not offend me. Um, But I feel like... It's almost like she was directing it in the sense that it could have been a male directing it. And it's almost like I felt like she's trying to throw people off the scent with that. And then obviously, like Greg said, I won't reveal too many spoilers, but this is a really empowering um, film for the the woman involved in this, the lead female. And it's empowering, but without being overly sexualized. So the sexualization of her is like quite prominent at the beginning. And then as she becomes more in control and more empowered, um, she does look sexy. She's still sexy as a woman, but she's very much in control and, and it's practical. You know, it's not what you, what you think it would be. Um, it just shows that women can be scantily clad without actually being overly sexualized and it's quite a practical um, change. And the colour of her, she gets, not only does she get darker in her actions, but she gets darker in her colouring as the film goes on. But the, I mean, slight little spoiler here, but it's not it's not too much that it will ruin the film for you. But on the posters, I'm sure if you've seen the... Um, uh, promotional images for this film. There's a flash of pink mixed with all those oranges and browns that Greg has mentioned. Um, and she's basically wearing these pink earrings and they kind of last the duration of the film, which is like quite ironic considering what she goes through in terms of physical and mental turmoil. So yeah, I mean, I re- really enjoyed that aspect of it. That I thought it was, she was still sexy. She was still a strong female. But you had a lot of respect for her despite her being kind of stripped of her clothes and her dignity. So it was a nice turnaround. Yeah. And I mean, Matilda Lutz, uh, last year she was in Rings. And uh, yeah, this is obviously a much better film than that. And it's a much better performance because if you watched Rings, you would think that, like, you know, she was just some vacuous, sort of non talented, sort of, you know, stereotypically pretty sort of early 20s sort of American actress but yeah she uh, does fit the role very very well so yeah, I thought she was incredible in this and she looks she's an absolute babe in it and <laughs> um, the chase scenes are like absolutely fantastic in this film so I won't say any more than that but you need to see this movie yeah I would say it's worth watching I mean if I was being very sort of critical I would say that maybe there are things that happen in it that are a bit unrealistic 
I mm. would say. Yeah, agree. In- yeah. And it's very bloody. There's like a, an almost c- comical amount of blood in the film. Like people bleed for like hours, seemingly like pints and pints of blood. Um, yeah, which- I think that was quite an ongoing joke on set that I saw some kind of interview with uh, Coralie Farge saying that they just never had enough blood and they had to keep getting litres and litres more of this fake blood. Um, so yeah, that's it's quite funny, but it, it That made doesn't it- surprise me. Yeah, made it a fantastic film. So, <laughs> oh, and I also did you um, see the nod to Cannibal Holocaust in there as well? No, actually, I didn't because you mentioned this to me before I saw the film, and I've got to be honest, it kind of I was looking out for it, but I missed it clearly. Oh, okay. Well, everybody should look out for that, and Greg, I will discuss it with you after the show. Oh, okay, fine. <laughs> All right, then. So my next pick after The Amazing Revenge is one which is an occult teen horror film called Pie Wacket. Now, this has also been categorized not only as a cult horror, but heavy metal occult horror, and I thought this was a really awesome film. Um pretty much a lesser known it's not widely released but one that I certainly picked up upon and just thought that it looked very intriguing so I watched it I thought this was really awesome the synopsis is a frustrated angst-ridden teenage girl awakens something in the woods when she naively performs an occult ritual to evoke a witch to kill her mother so I mean it is kind of that very much kind of teen stereotype but I think like if you've seen the film Deathgasm which is quite like heavy metal occult teen horror film this is like if you did that but very serious with probably some of the harshness of hereditary in it but obviously not kind of to that level um if you combine that then you get pie whack it um, i think if you like kind of occult horror sort of satanic vibes and um, that general darkness and this is a really great film for you to watch and i recommend it yeah, I uh, I liked it as well. I would say that I I mean I saw the director's previous film, which is a film called Backcountry, which is similar in tone to this. So one thing I'd say about this film is it's a very very slow burn. It's almost like the epitome of a slow burn, mm. where you get to know the characters for about twenty minutes. And then there's an incident and then nothing really happens straight away. It all happens really, really, really slowly and subtly. And then in the last sort of 10 minutes, things really, really start going out of hand, shall we say. Mm. Um, and backcountry is very similar to that. So it's you know about a couple in the woods and they're going camping. They lose their phone and they get stalked by a bear. That's pretty mm. much the whole film. But the way the director works it is very very assured because he really really takes his time and he really really trusts the audience not to get bored with what's going on because yeah it's a slow film but it was very engrossing i would say yeah i agree um director is adam mcdonald's i haven't seen backcountry but i do need to put that on my to watch list and yeah i do think this is a very slow but creepy film yeah and um as someone who's been around metalheads a lot listens to a lot of very, very heavy music. I would say that the portrayal of the metal heads in this was quite fair, I would say, sort of fairly realistic. I agree, so- especially like teenage metal heads. You know, it kind of gave me the, the whole nostalgia of growing up as a teen who liked metal. Yeah, and what I would say as well is that 
if this was like a more expensive production, so if this was like a big budget studio film, you would see the ghost and it would look shit. Mm. And it would be like a CGA, CGA, <laughs> CGI wank fest. <laughs> and this is nothing like that at all. I mean, it's not really a spoiler, but you don't see a witch or a, a, a ghost or whatever a spirit at any time in the film. And that's to the film's credit. I agree. I think it was better they didn't show it. And quite often the best films are like that. So yeah, well done on that part of the film. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I would say is that it's a bit over the top to kind of like invoke a spirit to kill your mum for the reason that she did. It was a bit out of nowhere, but yeah. I can kind of forgive it, I guess. It was maybe a little bit like, well, would she really do that just completely out of the blue? Because it's not like the mother and daughter have a really bad relationship. They have a pretty good relationship, I would say. But everybody's had that kind of teenage phase where you feel like you hate your parents, you know, so <laughs> it's just Well, I of... still do, so, you know, <laughs> I'm joking. I love my parents, really. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's kind of one of those things where you can imagine that a teenager would feel like that, especially going through puberty with all those hormones flying around and everything, so... <laughs> yeah, I don't miss that. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> So yeah, I mean that's so. Those are my two next picks. Greg, onwards with yours. Right. So this should be quite an interesting discussion. So the third film that I've chosen is a film that I really didn't like. I didn't hate it as much as True for Dare, but I really was quite bored by it. And it's a film called Winchester, and <laughs> it's a big budget studio film. It's directed by Michael and Peter Spierig, who last year brought us Jigsaw. Mm -hmm. And before that, um, they brought us a film called Predestination, which is, I think, quite a good film. And the key thing about this is it's actually got a pretty good cast in it because the lead female role is played by Dame Helen Mirren, not mm -hmm. the sort of person that you get in a film like this. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, she's completely wasted, in my opinion. So what the film's about is it's sort of based on a true story and it's about the Winchester family and they had a house which was being built for years and years and years. It's under constant construction and the Winchester family are the same family as the Winchester Firearm Company. So Winchester 73 and all that. The rifles. And yeah. Mm -hmm. So... Basically, the people who own the company are convinced that she's going mad. So they hire Eric Price, who is played by Jason Clark, who I don't think is a very good actor. He seems to be in a lot of films. I'm not quite sure why. And his character, as best I can tell, is a drug addict because they mention it about 800 times that he's a drug addict. And they tell him, can you stay at this woman's house and just make sure that she's all right? to she's fit to kind of lead the company and spooky shit happens etc etc um i gotta be honest i really didn't like this film as i said it's pretty boring for the most part it's full of really cheap jump scares which again is something i really really don't like and the thing that really annoys me is there's so many aspects of this film that could be quite interesting mm. so for example because you've got this house where, like I said, it's just being built constantly and it's massive. It like, I don't know how big the house was in real life, but in theory, it could cover like, you know, thousands upon thousands of yards mm. of just house. 
And they really, really don't do anything with that at all. Like it could just be set in just a standard house. (laughs) And yeah, I think the main issue with it is it's just really boring. Like I honestly wanted to fall asleep for most of it. It was just (laughs) tedious as all fuck. But I know you don't agree with that, I'm sure. Yeah, I quite enjoyed it. I can see your point of view. So I'll discuss the merits and, um, you know, the downfalls to this film from my point of view. But yeah, I really liked the idea that this could be based on truth and of the, this legend of this California mansion and the eccentric firearm heiress Sarah Winchester. Um, I quite liked the idea of the this um, firearm company having this premise to it and this haunting. Um, and I quite like the style of this, which was like Victorian horror. I thought that was excellent and Helen Mirren looks amazing in this. I do agree with you that she wasn't used to the extent she could have been. Um, it didn't really showcase her in the way it should have done. Um, the special effects were a little bit lame. Um, it kind of showed some ghosts that, that didn't look like amazing. And it <laughs> did, it did rely heavily on jump scares, which were a bit predictable. Um, but besides that, I did think this was quite fun. I do agree with you on the fact that it was supposed to be a huge house. And in my mind, I'd imagine this a lot more kind of vast, covering a lot more in it. And they did kind of stick to like basically one room as the main room and then one corridor with a few rooms in it which was a little bit disappointing um but overall I think I I liked the idea behind this film more than I did like the actual kind of result like in my mind this kind of urban legend or like truth that it was based on just sounded really interesting um and I did jump at the jump scare so I do think this is another excellent Saturday night movie to watch with friends Oh dear. So you got Truth or Dare and Winchester, like, you know, some Saturday night, you know. I'd, you <laughs> know. Of those two, I would choose Winchester as, as the better one. I would say just watch The Conjuring again, or The Conjuring 2, because that's basically <laughs> what this film is trying to be. And Yeah, that's yeah. true. It, it does feel very mainstream. So yeah, it was a little disappointing from that perspective. Um, but you know, they have to they have to put that out into cinema. It's almost like they're ticking that box. Yeah. <laughs> um I mean I don't really have a lot more to say about this. Yeah, I just you know say it wasn't a fan. I can kind of see why people might like this, because as I said, it's got Helen Mirren in it. And Her- Helen Mirren is all right. She's not yeah. like horrible. I just think she's completely wasted. Like you didn't have to make that character Helen Mirren. Yeah. Like you could have got any kind of older actress to play it. There's nothing particularly special about the role that she adds a uh, gravitas to at all. And like I said, Jason Clark, just to kind of expand on what I said about him earlier, is that, you know, obviously he first came to prominence in Zero Dark Thirty. Now, there was nothing about his character or his performance in Zero Dark Thirty that I thought was amazing. Like, that film was completely owned by Jessica Chastain. She completely, you know, say she owned the film. And he's appeared in all these films. Like, he was in uh, one of the Planet of the Apes movies, like, as one of the main characters in that. And I'm thinking, like, well, I'm not really sure why he's getting all these roles, because he's not a particularly great actor. He's okay. I wouldn't say he's a bad actor. He's not really attractive (laughs) in that kind of Hollywood way. And he's not even kind of charismatic in a way that, like, I don't know, William Hurt or Kevin Costner are. Yeah. Someone like that. So I'm not sure why he keeps getting all these roles. I don't know if there's just a lack of acting talent 
with people of you know that kind of age and kind of what casting directors are looking for but yeah and he was pretty bad in this film i gotta be honest so yeah just wasn't a fan let's put it that way uh i just kind of felt mediocre by him like he didn't stand out so therefore it's not that's not that amazing but it didn't offend me either so anyway onwards with your next pick greg yeah, so yeah, so I've mentioned a few bad films. I actually want to mention a film that I was a little bit surprised by. So there was a film a couple of years ago that was an anthology film. It's called All Hallows Eve. Now, I've not seen it, but the reason I bring it up is um, there was a story in All Hallows Eve that was about a clown. Now, clowns are obviously quite in vogue at the moment because of it and all that. And this particular clown is Art the Clown. And Mm -hmm. the film is Terrifier, which is directed by Damien Leone. Mm -hmm. And this is based uh, on his short story with the same sort of character and the same basic premise, which is it's a slasher film. It's a very old school kind of slasher film. You've got a man in a clown costume terrorizing these two women who are sort of on their way home after a night out on the town. And lots of violent shit happens, lots of very, very gory killings. So to me... It's kind of in the same vein as Hatchet, but without the shit comedy that the Hatchet films seem to have in them. Yeah, very true. Now, I was genuinely surprised by this as well, and I feel like on the independent scene, I've spoken to other horror fans, and this has been very well liked. It's one of those where I thought that clowns um, couldn't be done again in horror very well. Besides the new It remakes, I thought that that ship had kind of sailed. Um, But... The actor who plays out the clown is called David Howard Thornton, and I believe he that he is a um, passionate Joker impersonator, and you can kind of tell by his grimace in this that he's very good at that, and he kind of makes this film what it is. He's incredibly creepy. There are some scenes, again, I won't give away too much, but in a <laughs> takeaway pizza place that are very well done and very creepy. Um I was quite nonplussed by the name Terrifier at first. I thought it sounded quite cliche. But with the makeup and the great visuals in this, it's very, very creepy, likeable, and well done on a low budget. Um, Damien Leone um, was actually a makeup artist as well. So that's obviously where some of his ideas come from. I also really liked um, Catherine um, Kukoran, who is of trauma fame. Um, so you might have recognised her. She's the blonde, one of the lead females in this. I thought she was excellent in it. And it's just a fantastic Halloween night horror film. Um, Art the Clown has become quite the horror icon. I've seen a lot of people on Instagram and online getting tattoos and doing spray graffiti and artwork of this clown because he's become had quite a cult following in the indie scene, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, he is obviously going to be the best thing in the film and yeah there's a lot of black comedy in this uh, from his character that is actually kind of funny mm. in a very very dark way there's uh, one scene about two-thirds of the way into the film that i won't spoil but it's a re- uh, it's kind of like a 
a joke as such by him that he plays one of the characters and it works really well. I was quite surprised by it. Um, obviously, what I would say without giving too much away because I don't want to ruin the surprise, but there's one of the most violent, gory deaths I've ever seen in any movie in this to the point where it's like, fuck, <laughs> while it was going on. I just couldn't believe that like what was happening. And yeah, I mean, I get that it's a cheap film, so the effects are a little bit rubbery, mm. but still, it's just, I can't believe that they've gone there. That's quite fucked up. Yeah, I loved the gore in this film. That's another reason I was really surprised at like, how well they'd done the gore, and I think this is very much worth a watch if you're a horror fan. It's fantastic. Yeah, if you're like a hardcore horror fan, if you love your slasher films, if you like gore, then uh, yeah, this is a really, really fun one. This is generally one that you can actually watch, you know, with your mates with some beers on a Saturday night. Yeah, absolutely agree. <laughs> Maybe a lot more so than Winchester and True Four Dare, according to Greg. Um, yes, according to me. It's definitely up there with my favourites of this year, to be honest, Terrifier. Cool. Excellent. So yeah, my I mean, we've got one pick left each. And obviously, we're going to end on a climax here because we've both saved um, some of our favorites for very last. I'm sure you can figure out what one of them is. But mine is a little different. Um, some maybe Greg Knox might say that this <laughs> is not a horror film. And it I'm probably isn't. But in the same way that maybe Green Room isn't a horror film, this film is incredibly violent. It's actually a drama mystery thriller. It's directed by the incredible female director, Lynn Ramsey, and it's You Were Never Really Here starring Joaquin Phoenix. Um, now, this is one of my favourite films of this year so far. It was so great that I watched it twice like in quick succession. I thought it was awesome. Um, I actually was um, privileged enough to see a screening at the BFI with Lynn Ramsey there doing a Q&A talking about the making of the film, working with Joaquin Phoenix and shooting in um, New York City um, and also this in comparison to one of her previous films we need to talk about Kevin um, which are both both based on uh, literary re releases on um, novels um, and both very awesome films but I really did feel like this was just such a fantastic and surprising film so well directed so beautifully shot and cinematic um with gritty cctv footage in it that really brought something to this film um and joaquin phoenix with a beard and basically a hammer as a weapon fighting back against the sex trade which involves children was just gritty as fuck and amazing so I would highly, highly recommend this film. I just think it was amazing. Uh, loved it, loved it, loved it. Greg, what did you think to this? Okay. Um, it's not a horror film, first of all. Now, I don't want to get too bogged down in this, but to me, just because a film is violent doesn't necessarily mean it's a horror film. But again, don't want to kind of get bogged down. It's your choice. It's a very good film. Um, so I am also a fan of a director. Um, I really like... We need to talk about Kevin. Um, I've seen the other two films that she's done. So one's called Rat Catcher, which is very, very good. I really highly recommend that one. And a film called Morven Keller, which is sort of a bit less good, but it's sort of quite similar to this in a lot of ways. So her directorial style is kind of similar to someone like Nicholas Rogue, where she will tell you a story, but she doesn't really spoon feed the story to you. 
so you kind of have to really follow what's going on so you'll see interactions between characters and you'll see conversations but it's not really presented in an easily spoon-fed kind of way you have to kind of work out what's going on not that it's really hard to follow necessarily but I mean, Rhea will know what I'm talking about because obviously she's seen the film. She's seen it twice. I saw it on the film festival last year and it's a really, really good film. As I said, I really, really like the style of it. Um, I really, really like the score by Johnny Greenwood mm. of Radiohead. He's yeah. awesome. Um, he is definitely one of the best composers out there in terms of film. So everything he's done for Paul Thomas Anderson, especially There Will Be Blood, which is fucking awesome. It's one of my favourite films of all time. So, yeah, and the music for that is incredible, as it is for this. And, yeah, I mean, it is very, very similar to Taxi Driver in a lot of ways. So it's about this guy who's a former soldier, and, yes, he is now working sort of as a kind of Mr. Fix-It kind of guy, would you say? Yeah, he's, he's like tracking down missing girls for a living and he's become so immune to violence um, and he had quite a troubled upbringing that it just doesn't affect him. Yeah, he has a sort of weird relationship with his mother and he has PTSD and he gets flashbacks sort of from when he was you know, in combat and stuff like that. Um, I thought even though there was violence, I didn't think it was gratuitous violence. So a lot of it is sort of on the edge of the frame. You can't really see it clearly. Yeah. Um, but there are some really, really amazing sort of scenes in the film. There's a scene kind of near the end that involves a character sort of being underwater. And it's almost sort of like the, the metaphor is that they're kind of baptizing themselves of all their previous sins because maybe they want to be a better person. Yeah, it's kind really that. beautifully shot and must have been incredibly hard to film as well. And Joaquin Phoenix is amazing in that. Um, but yeah, when I actually went to the Q&A at the BFI where Lynn Ramsey was, was there, I mean, it's quite difficult to understand anything she says because she's got such a strong Scottish accent. <laughs> and I think she said Joaquin Phoenix really struggled with that as well. He had to get somebody to always tell him what she was saying to him. Um, but she did say that they sort of tried it with uh, the idea of the gratuitous violence and then they decided it would be more effective if they didn't show the violence and so they tried it that way and it did turn out to be incredibly effective so i really like that aspect of the film it's more about what you don't see than what you do see yeah i mean i i would agree with that absolutely um i really liked the very last scene without giving away too much i thought that was quite powerful and quite well done um the film is really 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 well shot um i know i said this about another film last year but there are bits of this that do kind of feel like Kubrick where you've got the widescreen steady cam shots kind of moving through a house where yeah it reminded me of that so yeah it's definitely one of the best films that we're talking about on this show absolutely and I do recommend people seeing it but yeah I wouldn't classify it as a horror film personally. Okay so now we've reached the peak of the show and Greg would you like to reveal our final pick? Yeah, so I've talked about mostly films that are good or not very good, and I wanted to end on a film that, well, I think is absolutely amazing. I know there are people out there who don't like this film, but they're idiots and they can go fuck themselves as far as I'm concerned because, you know, they don't have any taste. And that is Hereditary, so it's still out at the moment. If you haven't seen it 
and you want to judge it for yourself, please do. I, I highly recommend it anyway. Um, it's been very, very highly sort of heavily advertised recently. And if you don't know what the story is, and I won't give too much away for this. So um, the main character, who's Annie Graham, is played by Tony Collette, who is absolutely brilliant in this. She's absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. Her mother has just died, and they had a very, very strained relationship. And clearly there's a lot of issues in their past. And her and her family, so her husband is played by Gabriel Byrne, her son Peter is played by Alex Wolfe, and their daughter Charlie is played by Millie Shapiro. Um, they have a very, very kind of uneasy kind of relationship. There's a lot kind of going on under the surface that as the film develops sort of comes out in various different ways. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't really want to say any more than that because I want to leave a surprise to you kind of when you when people see it. Yeah, um, I also loved this film. I thought it was phenomenal. And again, I won't do any spoilers. Like um, Greg has left it for you guys to watch, so I'll do the same. But it is brutal, it's gory, it's shocking. Um, director Ari Aster, I can't wait to see what he does next because this was like his first horror film that he directed. Um, it's an A24 film which does not surprise me they're consistent with choosing quality films and putting those out there you might have seen if you've seen the trailers you'll be aware of the kind of click cluck noise that Charlie the little girl makes yeah like that it's very unnerving Um, I think the best thing about this film is like the use of repetition and there are some absolutely groundbreaking visuals and, and happenings in this film um, and it has been described as like a modern day exorcist in terms of what a game changer it is to the genre. Um, plus, you've got yet another young actress who's just absolutely phenomenal, Millie Shapiro playing Charlie, um, very much like our young lead actress in um, A Quiet Place. I just thought they were, they were absolutely amazing. Um, and there's like heavy use of miniatures, which you will have also seen if you've used in the, if you've watched the trailer, that they have like miniature models of everything that's going on in the film, which does make it incredibly unsettling. Yeah. I mean, what I would say, the visual style of this film, the way it's shot and the way it's presented on screen, its production design is really, really very, very good for a horror film. I would say, in a way, this is almost like Wes Anderson-esque in that you've got the use of miniatures and then you have the house, which is very, very immaculately designed in that Wes Anderson-y kind of way where things are just so... Yeah, I guess it's is like, the best way to put it. It's like the kind of Wes Anderson-y kind of way meets The Shining, like in terms of the sort of in, the embodiment of the house as like a prison, if that makes sense. And it is very much, the as the title may suggest to you, an unsettling look at the kind of sort of demons that we might inherit from our parents, which is again something like a, a modern thing that plays on fears of, of, of reality of how we really feel about things is incredibly tragic and there's a lot of kind of family issues and death in this and it, it's just an absolute masterpiece I absolutely loved it, so haunting Yeah, I mean other things that I liked about it quickly is sort of, I really like the sound design I really like the score so the sound design is 
very very similar to like David Lynch. Mm-hmm. It's got a load of kind of industrial sounds sort of on the soundtrack, just generally kind of as the film's going on. I thought that worked really well. Mm-hmm. It uses deep focus really well, so you'll have stuff going on in the background or in the corners of shots yeah. at different places in the film. That's sort of very 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 unnerving. Yeah. Now, in terms of the advertising. I think it doesn't really do the film any justice mm, or favours. Yeah, because I, I agree, but I think that was possibly on purpose to like hide it from, you know, because there was so much hype about this film, they knew people were going to watch it anyway, so it's quite strong promotion, but without giving away anything really about the film, which I, which I respect. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the whole, like, oh, it's this generation's exorcist thing, I don't agree with that. I think that, if anything, it's a lot similar to Rosemary's Baby. It's a lot, lot more similar to that. I think when you say it's like this generation's exodus, I think it gives people like kind of unrealistically high expectations. So don't get me wrong. I think the film is really, really good. It's very, very, very strong. The first kind of 30 minutes or so is amazingly, amazingly strong. I thought that was unbelievable. Mm. And then it did kind of dip in the middle, unfortunately, where the story went in a different direction. There's a a really, really big incident that happens kind of at the end point of that section. And then you've got kind of the story moving in a very different direction. Now, I get having seen all the film, obviously, you know, when you're watching a film, you don't know really where it's going to go. Having seen the whole film, in context of the film, that does make sense. Mm. And because the film is kind of half kind of family drama. It's about family coming to terms with death and things like that. So um, one of the director's films that he said this is very, very highly influenced by is a film called Cries and Whispers by Ingmar Bergman. Now, Bergman is one of my favourite directors. I think he's absolutely amazing. And his best films, in my opinion, are these kind of films where it's a small group of characters, normally about four in one place and it's about their interactions and it's them reacting to kind of things that have happened and yeah there's a lot of kind of fraughtness in they have a lot of arguments and things like that and yeah i can definitely definitely see kind of the bergman influence in there now interestingly this film from what i've read and from what the director said was supposed to be three hours long now i'd have loved to have seen people's reactions if it came out and it was three hours long yeah, I don't think as many people have watched it, but I would love to see that full version. And in terms of the Exorcist comment, I do really feel like it lives up to that hype and that, it, to me, that didn't disappoint at all. Um, you know, it's got supernatural elements, it's got a surprising ending, and it's, in a word, I would say that this film is harrowing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I absolutely love it. I can't wait to watch it again. Now that I kind of have seen it and I know kind of what happens, I'd like to watch it again just to kind of see for clues Mm. in a way in like sort of the the first sort of 20 or 30 minutes of the film because, yeah, it goes in directions that you're not really expecting. Even if you watch the trailer, the trailer really doesn't actually give that much away. Yeah, agree. And I think they did that on purpose because it had such a strong kind of premise to it that they didn't need to do that. And like I said, I do respect that. I think it, it was brilliant that we didn't see too much before we watched the actual film and it was worth the hype. So yeah, I mean, that's hereditary. 
fucking amazing absolute masterpiece now we do have time for a few more just honorary mentions without detail just of stuff that you'll either recommend to watch or not watch do you have sort of uh, three or four that you want to mention greg quickly yeah so there's um, a couple of films that i thought were quite good maybe not necessarily good enough to kind of include to talk about in full um so there was tragedy girls which i quite enjoyed but not massively i thought it was okay it wasn't quite as satirical as i thought it was going to be it kind of really reminded me of a very similar film called detention it was done in that very kind of snarky kind of very american sort of heather's light sort of style so and it was all right i thought the two lead performances were quite strong but you know it's okay i wouldn't say don't watch it but it wasn't as good as i kind of wanted it to be Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, enjoyed that film, thought it was good. Yeah, and um, another good film that I saw, which is very, very under the radar, not a lot of people will have seen this, is a film called Tilt, which I you know, didn't know anything about it, watched it, and I quite enjoyed it. So very, very short synopsis is about a documentary filmmaker. He made a documentary a few years before, which did okay, and he's trying to do a new documentary about Trump essentially and i don't know quite why this happens but believe it or not he does start sort of losing his mind and going mad while he's trying to make this documentary trying to fund it trying to edit it and things like that and uh yeah his wife's not very happy with him and yeah it kind of went in directions that i wasn't expecting it to go in i thought it worked quite well it reminded me of another quite similar film which is called they look like people oh yeah where it's a low-budget American film, but it's a lot more psychological and it's a lot more about the interactions between the characters. It's not like a violent, gory film like Terrifier or anything like that, but I quite enjoyed it, so I just thought I'd quickly mention it. Awesome. Um, Anything else to mention? And then I'll go through mine. Yeah, I mean, there are other bad films I saw this year that I really, really wanted to talk about, but we didn't really have the time. Um, Cloverfield Paradox was a piece of shit. Um, the first sort of 20 or 30 minutes, completely unwatchable. You've got great actors in there. So yeah, very, very talented actors, but they're just completely wasted in this film. The script is absolutely terrible. The effects are really, really terrible. It looks like it was filmed on a soundstage and, you know, done using really, really shit sort of asylum S CGI. It's got a fucking terrible ending. Um, yeah, don't watch that one. Um, there's a film on Netflix called The Open House, which is really, really bad. It's a terrible <laughs> film. Might be the worst film that I've seen this year, but, you know, there's still six months of the year left to go, so you don't know. I will wait till the end of the year to talk about that one in full because I can really, really go off on it. And uh, there was a quite fun, bad film as well. Just I just want to leave people on. It's called Devil's Tree Rooted Evil. Now, there is an actual tree in florida i believe where people believe it's haunted it's an actual tree it's not made up or anything this is legit there is a a cursed tree and they made a film about it and unfortunately the film was not very good it was really really cheap 
but it did feature the really, really awesome line, what do you want to know about the tree? (laughs) (laughs) Terrible, but hilarious. I did also watch that. So I'll just round this off with some of my um, shout outs and recommendations and also some of the worst of the worst. So um, shout out to Dominic Brunt, director of Attack of the Adult Babies, um, which did premiere at last year's Fright Fest. Um, Awesome film, kind of weird. Um, Maybe considered a bad good film but they kind of know that it's tongue-in-cheek and I really enjoyed it I thought it was a lot of fun so take a look at that if you can also Danny Morgan's Double Date um, which also premiered at last year's Fright Fest awesome awesome film Um, Danny the director is actually a lead actor in this film excellent premise and really enjoyed it Um, excellent independent horror film Um, add to that you've got um, Low Life um, which was also premiered at last year's Fright Fest, which is I finally managed to see, which was awesome. Um, the Nicolas Cage horror film Mum and Dad, which was a lot of fun. I would recommend that. The Endless, um, which was also a fantastic film. And the remarkably terrible, probably as bad as Devil's Tree Rooted Evil, Bed of the Dead, which was absolutely awful. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, I mean, that's all we have time for today. Um, so Greg, would you take us through the usual plugs for the Lament Configuration Horror Podcast? Where can people find us? So um, yeah, usual plugs, like we said. So we are on Facebook under the Lament Configuration Podcast. We're on Twitter at Lament Horror. We're on YouTube, also under the Lament Configuration Podcast. And yeah, we've got 38 episodes now in our vault, in our archives, mostly video nasties related. So don't know if you heard, but we reviewed all 72 video nasties. And on the last episode, we ranked them all from 72 to one because we're absolutely mental. (laughs) And yeah, uh, it's been a lot of fun doing that. We have reviews of the Hellraiser franchise. We have reviews of the Evil Dead franchise. We have reviews of the Child's Play franchise. Um, we've got Fright Fest stuff. We've got London Film Festival stuff. Um, so yeah, if you've uh, a fairly new listener or you've not listened to all our episodes, they're all there in the archive for you from episode one to this one. So yeah, feel free to check it out. Speaking of Fright Fest... Um, we've got Fright Fest in a couple of months. They announced the lineup last week. Um, I'm going to be at Fright Fest. I'm going to try and cover at least one or two films from every single day of the festival. And there's going to be some cool stuff, hopefully, that I'll be doing for the YouTube channel exclusively. So if you've not already subscribed to the YouTube channel and you want to keep up with uh, what I and Rhea and uh, some other cool people who may have been on the show before that are doing it Fright Fest and that's where you want to kind of keep your eyes peeled on. Very excited about Fright Fest 2018. Um, thanks for the plugs there, Greg. And the usual plugs for me, I have been your host, Reoffend. Um, you can find me on my modeling and acting platforms um, at the usual places, which is Reoffend on Facebook on my um, 73,000 followers page um r-i-a-f-e-n-d and on instagram and twitter ria underscore fend thanks to everybody who has joined me on there um i hope you like the content let me know if there's something you want to see more of and please keep on listening to the podcast and subscribe on itunes um so until next time we're going to close out the show with part of the fantastic 
soundtrack from Hereditary, which is a song called Reborn by Colin Stetson. And until next time, hail payment.